At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fade to Gray. I'm Elizabeth, Omar's wife, and I'm joining the guys today at the round table as we talk with my friend Sue Molner about the Palestinian refugee crisis. Hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get to it. Today we are joined with Sue Molner and Elizabeth Williams. Um, Elizabeth hey. it is a member of the round table, although she is not always on. Like, you know, we have eight, nine of us and only really four or five spots plus our guest. And so uh, my, my wife, Beth, um, is going to be doing a lot of the internet interweb design stuff, as well as just organizing um, and putting up with me in my life. So she has like probably the hardest job of anybody on the team. So, um, babe, <laughs> hello. Introduce yeah. yourself. My wife of uh, nine, going to be 10 years this year. Yeah. So. 10 years in December. Hi, guys. I'm Elizabeth Williams. And I'm really glad to be here. So I put up with Omar, like he said, and for the most part, stay home with the four kids and do uh, music teaching uh, as a side gig of mine. I like side gigs. I'm kind of addicted to those. Um, but yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, she is definitely a superwoman. You just kind of like, just like, just glazed over what she does i mean like, we have four very rambunctious kids the oldest the oldest is eight um she homeschools three of the four actually probably four of the four just because the the fourth yeah, one doesn't want to be left doesn't want to be left out um and she she's what three now yep uh, yeah and, and and so um that full-time as well as piano music teacher voice voice teacher and piano tuner now as well as side gigs and so she's constantly on the go going doing stuff as well as we'll go ahead and plug anatomy of marriage podcast she works with the studleys in that team as well uh, doing web, web design stuff so uh, yep. babe you didn't brag about yourself enough so i needed to brag about you a little oh, more. okay well thanks <laughs> yeah if you guys are looking for a marriage podcast check out anatomy of marriage the studleys are pretty cool and i really enjoy being on their team too um I'm the master copy paster for their website, so <laughs> that's my job. Babe, why don't you tell us how we how we know Sue um, and how we got involved with her and what she does and why we have her on the podcast today, real quick. Okay. So for the listeners, um, Omar and I met during a training program with a group called Youth with a Mission, or YWAM. We were up in Lakeside, Montana, at the base there, uh, learning about missions and prayer and Bible study. And we, do, we did uh, three months of training, and then we did a mission trip for two months. And there were 30, 32, 30 students, something like that, um, in the program. And Sue was one of the other uh, students with us. 
Sue and I, when we did the mission trip part, um, our class was split into three groups. Sue and I were part of the team that went to Thailand. Uh, uh, Omar went to Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, yes, because somebody didn't fill out their visa right. I was supposed to go to Brazil. I'm still not, no, obviously not bitter about that. Ended up in Northern Northern Ireland. (laughs) Ended up in Northern (laughs) Ireland instead. But yeah, keep keep going. And then there was another team that went to the Ukraine and Turkey. Uh, But Sue and I, our team in Thailand, uh, I felt like, I don't know, Sue, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I was pretty homesick during the outreach to Thailand. The The whole experience there was pretty intense for me, and I felt like I needed somebody to connect with, and I connected with Sue. Um, she was pretty badass to hang out with me because I was just a little kid away from home, and she was knowledgeable of adult things. <laughs> and so then <laughs> with that... I was old back then. <laughs> <laughs> but I really liked hanging out with her. And when I ended up going back into Youth with a Mission and did some other schooling, um, and uh, I ended up in Denver, which is where she's from, and I hung out with her while, when I was there uh, as a student again, and she was just living in Denver. So um, I've been friends with her. I named my first car after Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> thanks to our thanks to our good friend Carol who gave me the suggestion. <laughs> so yeah, that's how uh, Omar and I know Sue. And one of our mutual friends, Paul Master, just this morning posted a picture of us <laughs> pretending to study all those years ago. It was 17 years ago. So Sue, why don't you tell us what is it that you currently do right now? Because you you don't always live in Denver anymore. No, I don't. Um, so about five years ago, I started a small nonprofit uh, that benefits Palestinian refugees. For the past 15 years, I've been working in Palestinian refugee camps, mostly in Lebanon and now in Jordan. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what got what sparked the passion to work with the refugees? Um, because you're from Denver, and that's nowhere near Palestine, like, or nowhere near the Palestinians. Like, how does this work? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, you we met during YWAM, and that was a um, you know a departure for me from. I was a little bit older than you guys, mm-hmm. and I had already been in the uh, corporate world. And I had had cancer, thyroid cancer, which isn't deadly, but it's, it was a shock at 27. And so I wanted to redirect my life. And, you know, I uh, started going back to church and being a good Christian and really thought that um, if I could regain my health, then I would serve others, serve others that um, the rest of the world either despised or forgot or or whatever. So I, you know, gave up my job, did YWAM, hung out with a bunch of 18-year-olds. <laughs> really? Yeah, there were a bunch of us. <laughs> Every second of it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it taught me a lot. And um, I kept pursuing missions. And I originally moved to Beirut in 2000, I think it was 2006, um, after visiting in 2004 um, to do missions work. 
And that's how I started. And through a series of, uh, let's just say, unfortunate events and uh, having a faith shift, I've really transitioned to humanitarian aid work and um, building. It's really, really, really important for me to be building relationships um, with people there and joining in their work. Yeah. So, so, so what do you, you mean by faith shift? Can you explore that a little bit for me? I'm yeah. curious to know what you're talking about there. I, I think that... Thanks for asking. Uh, that was where I was going. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I love Jesus. Um, <laughs> I do. I, it was, I, I don't know how people <clears throat> live without having some sort of spiritual life or moral compass. And I think that when you go overseas as a missionary, which I've done many times in short-term missions... I have shifted in my view of that because I've seen, especially living overseas, I've seen so much damage that we do yeah. as American Christians and, and the expectations. Like we, we will help people if they, if they do what we want. And, um, you know, when I first moved to Lebanon, we weren't really clear about how we were. You know, we would be followers of Jesus or, or a bunch of other stuff. And, it didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel congruent um, to build relationships with people and not, you know, have this ulterior motive. And, you know, I'm happy to talk to people about my faith, but the reason I serve people is because of my faith. Um, and I, I don't want strings attached to that. Um, and so, and it doesn't matter how they treat me. It doesn't matter whatever. What matters is my own heart towards them. Mm -hmm. And, and wanting the best for for others. That's that's very well put. Thanks for sharing, Sue. That putting it that way. Um, would, can you speak more to like? I mean, I don't know if um, you're comfortable or not, but like, what was the like? So you said there's a series of like unfortunate events that lead you to like break off to know. Okay, I don't. I still want to help people. I still want to like you know. You said your faith is one that's compelling you to want to do this, but you're also recognizing that you don't want to do it underneath the banner of missions work. So think, what was those unfortunate events? Like, can you I've been through a couple wars there. And I think when you, like I was in the 2006 war, um, and when Israel, you know, entered into Beirut and just bombed us um, back to kingdom come. And so I think when you're in the midst of something that is very serious, um, and I think, I think I had this idea that as a Christian, everything, and I'm there and I'm helping and God's just going to bless me. Um, and it kind of negates the seriousness of life and how others are forced to live in the mm -hmm. violence, in the injustice. And I think when I was faced with something <clears throat> that real and that serious and that big and that something completely out of my control, um, I felt really trite. I remember watching the bombs drop that first night over the area of where the camp was and not really knowing what was going on. And I just, you know, all of that work to get overseas, you know, like giving up my job and raising support and giving everything away and moving over. And a few months later, I'm watching bombs drop and realizing how much, how trite I was to think I, as <laughs> this American who didn't understand everything, could come in and help. And so I think, you know, that, I think the seriousness of that and the pain and the suffering that I've seen and experienced in the Middle East really shaped um, my faith. So do you think that you just felt like you could ultimately do more good 
Um, yeah. Think, the, yeah. Yes. I think that I am upfront now. I can be upfront saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm here to help. End of story. Um, and I'm here because of my faith. And I don't expect anything from you except for you to work hard. You know, I mean, part of what I do is partnership. So I partner with national organizations. Um, and I come in and do what they're asking. So I'm not doing what I want to do <laughs> or what I think they need. And that's really important to me because I've seen that too many times where we come in as foreigners and just judge what they need instead of listening to the community. Um, and so that's, so that's it's, good. so I'm upfront with everything and I partner with Muslims and other Christians and um, Jews, if they so want to, to join in this work. And that's how I, how I set it up because the problem is so big and the injustice is so great that um, the only way it's going to get better is if we actually work together. Well, Sue, can we, can we bring it back? I, I want to go back to those, the, you know, that day whenever you saw the bombs falling, uh, you know, how did people react? How was the reaction to you? Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what that felt like? Yeah, I mean, I shortly got evacuated. And I remember having, um, because my roommate had a team of university students <laughs> in the country whose parents were freaking out, we needed to get them to the Syrian border. Because at that point, Syria was fine. Um, it was that many years ago. Wow. And I remember talking to my team leader. Um, he's like, you're an American, I can't get to you. Israel's bombing, you need to go with them because you cannot be alone. And so we got to the border, we were sending them over, you know, there's bombs going off, total chaos. You just, what I learned in, in wars, you just don't react normally. I had a very long argument with my team leader on the border of Syria because he asked me to go to Jordan. He told me not to come back because they were bombing the major road that we were come back on. And I remember having a really heated argument with him. I'm like, please don't make me be the American that leaves when it gets hard. And um, he was right to go across. He was right. Um, and when I did go back, you know, after getting some trauma counseling <laughs> and making sure I was okay with my team, because that argument really, um, really affected our relationship. Um, you know, when I when I went back, I really wasn't sure how people were going to treat me as an American, because that's the thought I had when those bombs are dropping. But those are probably from my country, mm. you know, and that puts me in a very weird position. Mm -hmm. I, I love my country. And yet I see what we're doing, you know, uh, and because I had some relationships there, people, people can, you know, I think that's the thing we think about the Middle East, that they just hate us or they hate our lifestyle they actually can, can determine what's political and, you know, and relationships. So I'm not, you know, a representative of the U.S. government. And people know that. And they know that I'm there to help. And I've always, 97% of the time, am treated incredibly well by Palestinians and by Arabs. Uh, yeah, that's real encouraging to hear, especially, you know, like, I mean, are you, are you married, Sue? No. Okay. Are you so like so? You've been overseas in predominantly Muslim countries now for like over a decade. Yeah, almost fifteen years. And wow. and wow. and and no harm has 
befallen you, you know, for being a woman or being white? No, I mean, you get into situations and, but it's the same situation there. It's the same here. And I guess I, you know, with all of the movement and everything that's happening, I think it's easy for us to focus. And I hear this all the time about how bad Arab men are or how oppressed, you know, Muslim women are. And I'm like, we actually need to deal with our own stuff here because mm-hmm. um, there, there's some spectacular events that happen, <laughs> you know, like you'll get grabbed or, or whatever. And it doesn't happen in the camps. It usually will happen. Um, when I'm walking the streets, but here in America, it's really insidious, like Mm -hmm. it every day. And it's even struck me coming back, um, how, how men will treat me here. So, So you know, we hear all the time in the media or through, uh, just stories handed down to us from, from, I guess people who would know, but we hear all the time that those kind of people, they want the United States presence over there. They want our military presence there. They want us to go and help them uh, with their, I guess, re- when their freedom or whatever. I mean, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Okay, I know you don't, you weren't in Iraq, but but we hear that Middle Eastern people or Muslim people want us over there to help them win that freedom. What has your perception been on that? I, I don't think that's across the board. And I think what we want to do is we want to generalize because it's just easier, you know. But I've gotten multiple reactions. And what's interesting is um, just even being over there this summer. I was in Lebanon for several months and Jordan for six weeks. Um, you know, they always ask where I'm from. Like, where are you from? Why do you speak Arabic badly? Like, <laughs> or they, always tell me, they always tell me I speak Arabic very well. I'm like, no, I really don't. Um, but they always, every time I say I'm American, I never shy away from saying that because I feel like they need to see us over there. Um, they always tell me welcome. And they're like, oh, America. You know, so even with all of our politics, especially what's going on with the U.S. government and funding for UNRWA and the Palestinian refugees, um, they don't like our government. Um, and so, you know, sometimes people are happy with, our military presence a lot of times they're not so you Mm -hmm. you just can't you know i've come i've come across the board lebanon they're not you know (laughs) not a great thing Mm -hmm. i had a had a quick question and like this is coming i live in the bible belt and it's a big this is a big thing that people say i'm pro-israel oh netanyahu is a great leader, uh, you know, things of that nature. And here you are like showing compassion to the people on the other side of the fence. Do you get a lot of like blowback from that? You cannot imagine. (laughs) Tell us more. Yeah. I think think when I, you say Palestinian and people have a visceral reaction in this country, which is interesting to me. Right. Because most Americans have not met a Palestinian. For sure, they haven't met a Palestinian refugee. And so I think that we have we grew up for several generations with one narrative, and that's the Israeli narrative. And for for several reasons, but I but the Palestinian narrative, we haven't really heard. And I think every time I, you know, I've been 
I've been accused of a lot of things. I'm a liar. I'm a lot. Um, and actually, the most blowback I get is when I teach in churches. Hmm. And I hmm. really, I really try to keep it on stories, and I try to keep it on my heart at, for these people, um, because I think that's the only way that we can understand and um, find compassion for them. Because we really should, um, you know. I, I, you you have to start with education, and I you're telling people something they don't know, and they don't want to know. Because it makes the narrative and it makes um, the Israel-Palestine thing really, really complicated. And so people are going to push back on that. And I understand that. So I try to do it as gently and as pastorally as I can because it's painful. It's painful to see how much pain both sides are in. It's painful to see the injustice for Palestinians. And it's painful to see what our reaction has been. And so when you address it in that way, instead of arguing with someone or yelling at someone, I, I find that people are willing to engage more. That's wise, very wise, Sue. Like, um, I mean, I guess I would just want you to speak more to that. I mean, you talk about like, um, you kind of just touched a little bit of what those relationships are like or what it's like for the Palestinian people, the refugees. Um, I guess... Paint, you know, like paint us a picture, like because like, that's not something that we hear often. And like you said, we've always had the pro-Israel nar- narrative, especially if we grew up in churches at all. And uh, you know, it's like that we're supposed to, or you know, God's going to burn America down if we don't support Israel. Right. And so, um, you know, I'd love to hear like some stories or some of the narratives from the other side um, and get those out there for you. So, or maybe, or maybe even what the actual people in that area think of each other. Yeah. Well, uh, like I, politics aside. Yeah, I think, you know, Palestinians are pretty cut off from each other. You know, so a, a, a few years ago, I was helping a documentary filmmaker um, uh, do a film on Palestinian refugees, one in Lebanon, one in Jordan, and then one in Palestine. And um, when we show them footage from the camps from other countries, they were like, they had no idea. So Palestinians are effectively cut off from each other in, in, in different countries. Um, I, I think you have to start with the fact that you have 5.3 million Palestinian refugees registered with the UN. You have wow. 58, 58 registered UN refugee camps for Palestinians in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and then um, the West Bank and Gaza. So that it's, it, that's an overwhelming statistic, right? And then when you look at the camps in Lebanon, there are 12 UN Palestinian refugee camps that were set up in 1948. So you have generations of Palestinian refugees because they don't have um, they don't have citizenship, so they pass refugee status down to their children. So you have a people group that for decades have lived in limbo. So that's something we don't know. So this argument that people are having with UNRWA, that they're part of the problem that is facilitating, you know, Palestinian refugee status, that's partially true. But then what's the alternative? If they're not offered citizenship in another country and their country's occupied and they're permanent refugees, then what's the option? Right. So that part of the issue. And then if you take it on a on a 
it's hard to even delve into it instead of, you know, like I do like a two hour teaching and I barely am able to touch on it. Right. Um, but to give you an example, like this summer, I'm in the camps and this is Palestinian people. They are incredibly hospitable. And not only do they give you what they have, they give you the best of what they have. So I was with an organization that I partner with, um, Joint Christian Committee in Lebanon, and we were in a camp near the Syrian border, a Palestinian camp near the Syrian border. A lot of the people in the camp are Palestinian refugees from Syria. So I want you to hear me on that, that they are double refugees. Okay, so they were displaced, lived in Syria, and now because of the Syrian civil war, they're displaced again. So we were there doing some work. They have a program where they're putting Syrian and Palestinian refugees from Syria through school. It's an incredible program. I'm going to raise some money for them at the end of the year. And um, one of the teachers invited us to lunch in his home and his mother made this spread of food. Right. So before that, they were in a meeting and I asked two of the teachers if they just take me around the camp and I wanted to Facebook live it. So people could see what a camp was like. And they saw and they saw people like I'm sitting there with an iPhone and people are just inviting me into their homes. Like, please come, come see. And we'd sit down and they'd ply me with tea and <laughs> and treats. Um, and I think even on that Facebook Live, as short as it was, people were like, I can't believe they just invite the stranger into their home and give you everything. You know, and at the end of that night, especially in camps that I'm not actually working in, that I'm just visiting, like that camp was just a camp I was visiting for the day. I always try to buy something like bread or scarves or I saw this uh, Palestinian flag and I was like, oh, I should get that. And so I told my host, I was like, um, will you ask him how much that is and I'll, I'll buy it. And my host bought it for me. And I know how much money he makes, Right. And so I was like, please don't, <laughs> please don't, please let me do it. He's like, nope, you're my guest. And now every time you look at it, you can think of me and my family. Wow. Oh, that's really nice. Wow. That is not a rarity that happens over and over and over again. And so I carry all of that with me when I'm in the U S talking about them. Yeah. Uh, it's not the first time that I've heard of uh, Palestinians being very friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this band, or there are a couple of Christian bands who uh, went to Israel to play concerts there. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, the Israelis uh, are, are friendly people, but we did a concert in Palestina and those people are amazing. Yeah. And... Um, uh, I actually know, uh, uh, I, I will introduce myself, I forgot that, but I'm Rene, I'm from the Netherlands, and um, here we have uh, refugees, lots of refugees from Syria, and uh, a couple of refugees are in our church, and um, they're the most nice people ever. They uh, invite you to have a barbecue, and a Syrian barbecue is the best barbecue on earth, I uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, they're so friendly and they're so modern. Uh, I mean, uh, y- 
what what you get from the media is like you only see sand and 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 yeah not really a a, a very civilized culture or or that's what they think uh or made you believe here but uh, i don't know uh, they're they're from aleppo and that city is more advanced than than our city here Mm. um so uh, uh especially when it comes to medical stuff there are there there are such smart people and it's terrible it's a terrible idea that that we as western countries interfere with those uh countries uh, uh from what i've seen now in the couple last couple of years those revolutions destroyed complete countries and they didn't get better of it to be honest mm. Uh, I mean, the the there's a, yeah. I don't know if there's naivety or something, but people are complaining that there's so many refugees coming, but that's our own doing. Yeah, I mean, I I think we we have a bias, of course, to Middle Easterners, especially Arabs, Muslims, and yet every living in Lebanon and in Jordan part time, um, I've only seen them value education. They value it more than we do. You know, in Lebanon, they speak French and Arabic and English. Yeah. You know, and weave in and out of it. And I speak, you know, I speak English and Arabic, kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah. as an American. And so, um, there's so much, if we could just open ourselves up, there's so much. We, I've learned so much from Palestinians um, and from Muslims about family and hospitality and community and there are things yeah. i think in our cultures especially in america that we're so longing for because we're so isolated um, yeah. and that's what they do better than anyone is community yeah i really like the 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 the, the things they think uh, is normal um uh, specific habits for instance uh, i have two uh, little children one is uh, four months old and the other one is four and back in that day uh the her husband uh, one of the refugees uh said to me um you don't you cannot kiss a, a baby on the cheek because uh, you have to kiss a baby on the hand and i was like what why he said you have a beard and it probably hurts the kid uh, so I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. The, the, the people that I've seen coming from there, um, he said in Aleppo, we have a Christian neighborhood and we have a Muslim neighborhood, uh, a Jewish, everything mm-hmm. lives with each other in peace. Um, and somehow it it's all destroyed. And this uh, president... Uh, uh, Assad. Assad. Assad, yeah. I don't know. They they weren't that negative about him. So, uh, but the media here is very negative about Assad. Like he's a dictator, and everything. And I started to think that some sometimes when you want to live in peace, it's it's sometimes needed. Or am I wrong about that? Like that specific kind of government is sometimes better than a democracy. Is that something? Yeah, I I don't I don't know if I want to get into that. Me as an American yeah. judging their, you know their their governments. Um, I I I think that it's a very different culture, and I think yeah. they respect people that are strong. Yeah. Um, and so you know, strong men are respected. Um, I you know I, 
Palestinians are, are, you know, the Syrian refugee crisis and the Palestinian refugee crisis are very, very different. So oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not, I'm not sure I want to go into <laughs> the Syrians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, honestly, fair enough. That, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only refugees I know. I mean, I, I don't know, man. So that is, a, that is my small sp- perspective of what I have from that region. But, um, from what I've heard that Palestinian people are as nice as those guys so it's hard to believe that it's a small country full of terrorists to be honest (laughs) you know it's really funny renee that you bring that up because uh just last week my wife needed the car so i had to take an uber and my uber driver picked me up and i've got my headphones in and he starts talking to me and i'm like damn it i'm really just wanting to listen to music and uh but i'm like all right i need to engage you know that's what i do and so you know he's like hey how are you and i'm like oh i'm good what do you do and i'm like i'm a teacher and anyways oh you teach languages yeah he was like do you know arabic and i'm like no not really and so we start talking and he's like well i'm from palestine and uh i've never met anyone from palestine so in my you know uh western media brainwashed state was getting a little scared and i know that that's crazy i know that that's not right and i know it's terrible but i thought my i mean my immediate first thought and this just goes to show you like our thought process, my immediate, my immediate first thought was, okay, if he like, you know, starts trying to, I don't know, wreck the car on purpose, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, like fly out. And I know that's crazy. That's crazy thought. Right. But that's what we're, that's what we're kind of like conditioned to think about these people that they're all, you know, radical terrorists. Um, or and, that they're out to hurt us or they're out right. to hurt our life. That's not it at all. The guy was you a know, total sweetheart. Them. They want their own life. They want to be able. I've heard this over and over again from Palestinian refugees. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a refugee, you're not under the protection of any country, right? So your basic human rights are not granted, like a right to education, a right to health care, all of that. And I've heard them say over and over again, they just want their rights. The same mm-hmm. right that you and I have. And that's that exactly what he down. talked about. You know, we, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we talked about him yeah. being from Palestine and what that meant. And, you know, he asked me if I'd ever met a Palestinian and I said, no, I had not. Um, and so it was just a really nice conversation. It took about 20 minutes for me to get to work. Um, and the funny thing is, is the guy at the end of, you know, he said, you know, we're actually neighbors. I don't live too far from you. And I, uh, you know, this is my side job. I'm in school. I'm trying to become uh, a doctor and, and all this stuff. And uh, he was like, um, very nice talking with you. And I was just like, man, it was great to meet you, too. It was it was really nice. And I got an education and was very happy uh, that we had that interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So take the earbuds out, people. Take the earbuds out and talk to the people in front of you. <laughs> that is a very good lesson for Americans. Yes. I, I get taught that all the time in the Middle East. Like, I just want to buffer myself, you know, in the taxi, put my, you know, not, and nope, they will have none of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sue, you said, uh, just explain a little bit about what your work looks like, you, um, you know, the work that you do. Um, and like, was it like practical? Because I know it's not about like getting conversions for Jesus, but I know like your faith it drives you to do what you do. Sure. So, that's, sure. Um, so Beirut and Beyond, I started about 10 years ago, and it's about benefiting Palestinian refugee communities. So we do that by partnership. So we have national partners on the ground that either request projects or 
finances or manpower, and then we try to meet that. So in Jordan, what, what type of pro- what type of projects? Yeah, this is the example. So this is what I just finished in Jordan. So in Jordan, our partner is Hopes for Women in Education, and they actually provide tuition for Palestinian refugee women um, to, you know, finish out secondary education to get their degrees. Um, they have a women's center in Gaza camp in um, Gerash, Jordan, and they do olive oil soap out of there. It's called City Soap. Go look it up. It's beautiful, beautiful soap, and it's employing five women from the camp. Um, they have a language exchange program called Banet oh, Connects. We got uh, that soap, by the way. It's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Olive uh, oil soap is the best soap ever. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Traditionally Palestinian, so it's just so you know it's giving them a skill and a job. Um, yeah. Um, and so when they opened the women's center a couple years ago, the founder uh, I was having a conversation with, and they really wanted a library there because they really want to facilitate education and create that atmosphere. And so I told her, I'm like, okay, that's something we can do. So it's two years of planning and finding partners and um, fundraising. And we set it up this summer. So all of the people that we had involved in it, like we had a friend of mine, Libby Bergstrom from Global Reach Library. She sets up international libraries. And she volunteered her time. Uh, Bibliofish, which is a uh, library online system, donated their system. So they have an up-to-date online system. And then the staff of Hopes for Women, who are all Palestinian refugees, live in the camp, they worked their tail off to get this set up and um, I was able to work like shoulder to shoulder with them and what was motivating for me is that they wanted to give back to their community you know that they had received so much from hopes for women and now it was their turn to give back and so when we had the grand opening it was last month no it's still September no it's two weeks ago it's like two weeks ago you guys awesome. Um, wow awesome congratulations had- we had a huge crowd. We had a huge crowd of women, so much so that the that the police came to monitor. <laughs> um, oh, oh wow! Um, and there was a huge sense of excitement that this. We gave them quality books, and it made me so happy. It's like this is what I started Beirut and Beyond to do was to meet a need, and then it's theirs. It's not mine. It's not about me. It's about them. So. That's the kind of stuff that I'm involved in. I'm trying to keep it to creating opportunities in either education or employment. And the library, we uh, we raised enough money to um, hire a part-time uh, woman from the camp to maintain it and grow it. That's awesome. See, that's, see, that's awesome, Sue, that you're hiring women that are refugees and you're empowering people with education and books and everything. But I mean, how many conversions are you getting? I mean, like, what are you actually doing? <laughs> what are you actually doing for Jesus, though, Sue? I mean, it seems to, it seems to me that you could possibly be wasting your life here. I mean, like, I need, I need to know the conversion numbers. Like, I mean, and like, how many people have you know given their life? Come on, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, see, that's and that's the thing. And I've had people say things to me like, "What is it if you give the whole? What is that quote uh, from the Bible that says, what is what does it prosper man if you give him the world or something?'" They, and they lose their soul or something like that. They, and I'm like, so by giving, you know, by giving them things that they need, that's yeah. Yeah. Well, I 
I absolutely love that you partner with national organizations and your whole goal is listening to the community. Um, if I hear anything about mission work, generally the complaint that I hear about is we go into these countries and then we essentially do take jobs from the people in those countries to build homes and to build houses and to, to provide them things they need, but we're actually taking jobs right. um, and we're, we're actually hurting their economy. And you're not doing that. And no. And we bought and all the books locally. Like we didn't, awesome. we didn't bring books in. We bought them all locally at cost of fortune, but they're in Arabic. You know the shelves we bought there as well. So I didn't, I didn't bring anything into the. Well, I brought a computer. There you go. I brought a computer in for them. Um, but you know everything else we bought there because it's really important to me to um, to not do harm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know that we think about that. We go in with these really good intentions. And I'm not saying that we're, we have these bad hearts, but I think we go into it with really good intentions and not understanding the culture. Yeah. And, and we come into it with an attitude of, well, we know better. We're Americans, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're, what, and that's our mission, right? We're out to go and, and make the world a democracy, right? right. We want to do that. It's like... It's like poor well, seven-year-olds, no. they don't have an iPhone, so we need to help them. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that it's, I, what's really important to me is relationships, and I think Arabs have taught me that. And what's really important to me is that I'm working together with them, you know, that I'm not working against them, that I'm not yeah. doing my own thing, that I'm not, that I'm actually really benefiting them in some way. Um, I've just... Have just, I think, in the past, done too much damage. You know, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. that's how you learn. Yeah, I totally understand that. I I feel that way for my uh, my mission experience because I was working with YWAM for ten years, and then in Alaska for was it five years, babe? Five yeah, I was, years, I yeah. think. I was there. You for were there now, longer. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, I definitely felt like I did more damage than good in all mm-hmm. things. So I'm, I'm out for now, <laughs> yeah. um, but I really appreciate what you, what you do. Um, how, um, I, I've, I really like the humanitarian aid thing. I think if, uh, in an, in another life, if I come back as another person, I will, uh, want to go that route. Cause that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go humanitarian aid route. Cause that's just better in my mind. <laughs> yeah. But it makes it harder because it's not as clear cut. Yeah. Right. I have to, I have to like, check my own heart all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, what's my motivation? How am I treating right. people? What, what am I judging? And it makes it a little bit more complicated and a little bit more messy. But I, but I don't know that I would have had a, had the experience of seeing that library come together the way I did. Uh, you know, if I, if I didn't work this way. But real life is complicated and messy, and there isn't there isn't clear cut or black and white. I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing here with like fade to gray, and then having like compelling guests like you, who are like, understanding that and living that out on a daily basis. Because it's like you can't have it. Like I think things when they're presented in such a clear cut black and white way, are scary because. Like we know that that's not the truth, and it's like it's not that easy. You know, it's not that simple. So. But there's a cost to it, you know, because now I feel like I don't fit anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, yeah. my Palestinian friends tell me all the time, they're like, Suzanne, you have to be Palestinian in some way. <laughs> like, to be doing 
which or they'll say you're Palestinian now, Hollis, like forget it, it's done. Uh, <laughs> but then I come back to America. I'm still very American when I'm in the Middle East. I can't help it. Like yeah. everybody's late. Everything. <laughs> you know? <laughs> back to America and I don't fit here either. So yeah. there's a cost, I think, to doing work like this because it's it there's a cost. And I think there's a cost anytime you go into the gray area. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people naturally want it to be black or white. They want to know right or wrong. That's very much our culture, you know, yes. our worldview. Yeah. So, you know, so good I luck. Think that's, <laughs> I think but that's it's all a lot. It's all a lot. I think that's one of the things that inspires me the most about what you're doing is that I we cracked the joke earlier about conversions, but like the whole idea of just going and loving people with no like with no ulterior motive, right? Um, and it always seems, at least my experience in the Christian community has always been that we're doing something with an expected outcome. Um, and that, right, like the homosexuality debate um, even kind of rolls into that. Um, but I, I just love that you're not there to necessarily to, to convert people, but to love people. And I, right. I just think that's phenomenal. And it's also wanting the best for them, you know, like, I think that's really hard in our day and age, especially like, it's been shocking to come back to America. Like, I've only been back for two weeks, you guys, two and a half weeks. <laughs> and so everything that's happening, and I'm just watching us like, not oh, yeah. think the best of each other, you know, like, yeah. we just, you know, if you're a Republican, then you hate the Democrats and the Democrats are like, and I it's it's kind of phenomenal to me to see how much division we have because we refuse to put each other um, in front of ourselves, you know? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I was just I having this conversation with my friend from England on Thursday. She was saying, she was seeing the same thing. She's here visiting my parents for a couple of weeks and she's like, I, I don't understand your country. You guys are so angry at everybody yeah. within the country. <laughs> Yeah, it's so emotion. It's so emotionally driven. Like everything that's happening, whether it be like the words that our president tweets, you know, the things we hear on the news, everything is like reactionary, and we have to have like an opinion. We have to get emotionally involved in things that maybe we shouldn't be emotionally involved in. You know, like always. And then, and then, if you don't have the correct opinion right away, then you're polarized, and then you have to like like defend your stance and it just gets it just gets ugly and messy and we forget like that the person in front of us is human you know and they've arrived at their opinions for some for some reason as well and it's like until we god's image they're human (laughs) god's image guys guys ratings are so important (laughs) (laughs) have you checked donald trump's numbers. numbers recently come on now oh man andy are you still with us i'm still here what's up What's up, man? I I, I want to hear uh, what the left coast has to say out there. Well, okay, so obviously we were talking about uh, before we started the call, like the the whole media thing and how we've been kind of propagandized. We don't even well, really, we haven't had much coverage of anything going on with this. And I honestly would just like to know because I come at this from a perspective that has no knowledge of this whatsoever. What? is the conflict what started this conflict was it a great question yeah is it religious is it uh, for land you guys how like do we have like eight hours because (laughs) (laughs) this is is the point of debate 
whether you're, you know, Israeli or, or Palestinian. Um, but, it, you know, yeah, you need to come to a learning party. I don't I don't know that I can delve into that and give you a decent answer. Um, but what you do need to understand is in 1948, when the state of Israel was created, you had 750,000 Palestinians that have fled or were forcibly removed. That was half of the population. Um, and wow. so, and that, from that point, it has never been addressed. Like those original refugees never got compensation. Their homes were taken, their land, their, their occupations, um, you know, and that to me, the Palestinian refugees are the key to the conflict and to solving it. And that's why you're seeing our government trying to erase their status because if, if you don't have Palestinian refugees, then what? Then you don't have right to return. You don't have to make compensation to five million people. Um, then it's solved, right? Mm. So, so who actually displaced them? Would it have been like an, a joint effort between Western countries and Israel, or no? How, how did it that was work? was you know the the uh, Israeli forces or the Jewish forces at the time. Um, the British at the time, see, that's why I can't even get into it, because we'll be talking about this for hours. Um, the, the British had a mandate in, in Palestine since World War I ended, because it was under the Ottoman Empire. And then when the Ottomans were defeated, um, <clears throat> the Europeans cut up the Middle East for themselves. So, some went under the British mandate, some went under the French um, and so Palestine was under the British mandate. And then in the 30s, you had so much Jewish in, um, immigration because of what was going on in Germany and, and Europe, and they were looking for a safe mm. place to go. But you had a huge influx, and that created tension. And so you had Arabs revolting, and then you had the British, you know, killing, killing a lot of Arabs as a result, and a lot of Jews were killed. And then, you know, by 1948, the British is like, I, we've got to just, we can't do this anymore. And that's when, in 47, that's when the United Nations decided to partition um, Palestine and make it Israel-Palestine. There's your brief <laughs> history lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you some, there's a lot of resources on on my website, uh, Book Street, on that. Um, but it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of research. Um, and Is it, that Beirut and Beyond.com? Yeah, beat.org, Beirut and Beyond.org. Um, okay. but it's a, you know, and, and the Israeli narrative is going to be very different than, you know, probably what I share with you. So what I try to do is tell a story and tell, and tell it as accurately as I can without injecting a lot of emotion in it. Hmm. And that's hard. Cause obviously like the native American perspective is going to be a lot differently than, than the perspective I learned like in my like junior high school in exactly. North, North Carolina too. So that's exactly it. And I think what you're seeing now, I, I just want to touch on Anawa because I don't think that Americans understand how catastrophic this is going to be. Like the Trump administration has pulled all funding for Palestinians, all funding for Palestinian refugees. Mm -hmm. Anawa is the UN Relief and Works Agency that was set up in 49, I think, to address the Palestinian refugee crisis. And they are, for most Palestinian children, they're the only option for an education. Like a half million Palestinian refugee children go to UNRWA schools. Three million people access their health clinics. 
That's where Palestinians get their health care or education or they employ 30,000 Palestinian refugees who (sighs) don't have a job. So if it folds because of us, then what? So we've, I, you know, we put a very, we put a very vulnerable people group. Refugees to me are the most at their most vulnerable state, and we've actually put them, you know, on the edge of a cliff. Wouldn't it be better wow. though? Wouldn't it be better though for the countries to kind of get out of that and let uh, those people take care of their their issues as, without Western influence? Sure, but okay. So if UNRWA folds and you have no option for unemployment because legally in Lebanon they can't work in Lebanon because you don't have citizenship and you're not entitled to go to Lebanese schools, so then what? You know, this is this is it's really really complicated, and you know everybody's like, oh, these Arab countries not you know not giving them full rights. Well, you know, there's a reason why they're not, and whether it's political or whether because they still want Palestinians to have the right to return, it's very complicated. So we haven't incorporated them into our country either. Like nobody's really offered Palestinian refugee citizenship, right? So we're like a people group that has refugee status for 70 years, in my opinion, we're all complicit in that. All of us, the entire world. Yes. Yeah. So I think, like, I, I, I know people have heard, like, UNRWA on the news, and maybe it's better. Maybe it will be better. Maybe maybe Gulf states will take some responsibility. Maybe the UN will. I don't know. But my fear is that, you know, people that rely on UNRWA for food every month, they're, they're, then they won't have it. Then what? Or, you know, the half million children that their only option for an education is UNRWA, then they're not going to school. Then what? Mm-hmm. You know, do so they just very- not have access to like, I mean, I know that they're refugees so that they don't, they don't really have, I guess their own land or land. so, so there's no way that they could like farm or, or grow yeah. anything. No. So these, re- so these 58 refugee camps are, were basically set up in 48 and 67, which had the most influx of Palestinian refugees. And, you know, they're, they look like modern day slums because they're so old, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no there's no option to farm or sometimes there like I there is a farm. One of my partners has a piece of land in the south of, of Lebanon and they're teaching they have a course on agriculture and they're teaching Palestinians how to farm, which is a huge thing, which is why I work with them. Um, but no, it's not it's not the normal. Like you're it's really hard for Americans to understand what it means not to have citizenship because it goes against everything we know, you know, but you're, you you put people in a situation and then they have the same problems over and over again. So if they want to travel to go get an education, then they need special permission because they don't have passports, so they can't travel. Then oh, if they yeah. can't work legally, how do they get money? <laughs> you, so they're they're basically stuck there is what you're saying they're stuck there with no avenue to advance forward on their own um so i mean this is a completely crazy question but is there a solution and how do we get there i don't know i don't know that there is i don't know that there is a political solution and i um i i 
want justice for Palestinian refugees. Um, I want them to have full rights. Um, I don't, I want them to have right of return. I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Um, so politically, I don't think it's solvable, especially with what I'm seeing now. Um, but you, we can do stuff on the ground. Like if it's, if I'm changing one person's life or giving one person an opportunity, then that's, then that's worth it. You know, and that's all, that's all, that's why I'm kind of not, I don't do food distributions. I don't do clothing distributions. I don't do like immediate need stuff. My whole focus is on creating opportunities because I believe that's what they need the most. Mm -hmm. Like we take for granted in our country, how many opportunities we have, you know? Um, And so if you can create employment for someone or, you know, raise money to send them to school, and then it's on. Then it's their responsibility to take what they have and make something of it, and it feels more like a partnership to me. Feels more equal that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely yeah. does. Sue. Yeah, of course, like that's that's incredibly wise, and you can tell it's being spoken of a, a place of like you've been, like you said, doing this for fifteen years. You've lived it. You've seen it. And you're coming at a, a, a place like you said. You're fully American. <laughs> but um, are being like also like a cross cultural uh, experience with like this uh, you know being embraced by the Palestinians and being like basically like say hey you know you're one of us and so um, to come on and and present the perspective that you have like I yeah I have no problem like supporting you and and having uh, Fade to Gray be your platform and and saying yeah please support Sue. Um, in any way you can, if you, if, if, you know, if your heart's been stirred by, by like this, if, if you never heard anything like this before and you want to give to a good cause, I definitely believe in our friend Sue and what, she, and what she's doing with BeirutAndBeyond.org. And so please go check her out there and, and look to, to support. You have, um, you have at least my full <laughs> um, you you're, you're awesome. Very proud. Very proud of you. Very proud to know you. And um, thanks yeah. for for coming on and being like be vulnerable and share these stories and and get it out there because like you said there's very i mean this is a very unique perspective and um, i'm honored to have you sue where can people go and hear more about your story and maybe even help uh donate to your cause or get involved where can people do that at sure so you can go to our website at favoritebeyond.org we, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not on Twitter because that just seems like a dumpster fire waiting to happen on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm personally on Twitter, about? but not, not Beirut and Beyond. Um, and I have several events coming up this fall in Denver. Um, we're trying to do some dinner parties where um, we're going to a a Middle Eastern restaurant and to experience like real Middle Eastern hospitality and Palestinian food and conversation. Um, so we're going to be doing several of those this, this fall. So you can follow us on social media. If people are in Denver and want to come. You are welcome. I would really (laughs) recommend, I would really recommend that food. It is amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) It's really, it's really good. It's a really good bridge. Like, Palestinian food, Lebanese food, Syrian food is a really good bridge for people to start experiencing the culture because it is, it's my comfort food. It's to me, it's the best food on the planet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the Syrian refugees actually did our Christmas uh, food 
they uh, they ate at my parents-in-law and they cooked for us and oh my goodness it was good <laughs> <laughs> and so if, if they're looking for a good uh soap as well i guess is that they go to your that website too and then there's uh, links there to find the soap or citysoap.com um can you say that one more time it's city. City in Arabic means my grandmother. So it's spelled S-I-T-T-I dot com. And I highly, that's what I bought everyone for Christmas last year. Um, because I know where the money's going and I know it's a quality project um, product. So yeah, I'll go visit them, buy from them. It's so, I know exactly who it's helping. So, and it's a good, good, good program. That's awesome. So you just finished the library project. What's your next project? You're obviously in Denver raising awareness, but I'm assuming you're going back that direction to yeah, do another I'm, thing. I'm probably going to go back next year at some point. Um, we need to raise money for that. But, you know, we're going to focus on, on the employment for our librarian. So I need to raise money for her. Um, and I want to raise money for the Syrian Palestinian program out of Lebanon and then we need to finish sending um, our girl that we've been sponsoring only has one semester left and so I need to raise some support for that um, yeah so she'll graduate next year That's awesome. because my sponsors because our donors have donated for two and a half years now wow wow so that's basically what we're doing for 2019. So it's all focused on either employment, empowerment, or education. And cleanliness. <laughs> so you guys got anything else, guys? I'm still thinking about the food. <laughs> <laughs> it is lunchtime. Dinner time at Renee's house. You've been You've been no, no, yeah, we, we just had a, a, a pizza from... Uh, a, a very big pizza. We got like a... <laughs> We got like, let's do something. We, we are on a keto diet for like four or five months and we lost so much weight that we thought, oh, today we're going to sin. So we bought like, we bought like a family XXL pizza and we got wild. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so full right now and so sorry tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is, uh, I'm, my family is actually, uh, my mother's side is from an Indonesian, uh, has Indonesian roots. So food is very important in our family. So when we talk about culture and food, it's very important in our family. And I, I just, when the Syrians came and cooked for us, I thought, oh, that's that's kind of similar as, as our family is. Like food is very important. And, and they're so hospital, uh, yeah, so nice. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I was honestly still thinking about that Christmas dinner they made for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, what can people who can't donate to your project? What can they do from the states um, that can maybe change perspectives about Palestinians? Well, I think um, education right. is really important. And I think that, um, you know, uh, there's a bunch of resources on, on our website, videos that I've been shooting in the camps, um, movies, you know, with a Palestinian perspective on them, books, 
Um, I think that's really important and that's a good starting point because I think it makes you um, look at the news cycle a little bit differently, which is really important. Um, and I also think volunteer. Volunteer. What, what, ta- what talent do you have that you can volunteer to an organization helping? You know, whether it's grant writing or, you know, graphic design or, or whatever, because, you know, nonprofits are always in need. And that's a tangible way of giving of yourself and your time to a cause and for you to be a part of something. Great. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Um, Welcome. Thank you. Good times. Good times. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to to be in contact, Sue. Sorry it's been 15 years since we talked. Well, you know, maybe we just needed that long of a break from each other. (laughs) (laughs) We've been plotting our demise since 2001. Nice. Is that like a is that like a Middle East joke that I'm not quite getting? No, it's a YWAM joke because we oh, were the okay. 18 year olds that were driving her crazy yeah. in 2001. I literally was sending back newsletters to supporters in, in America saying I'm honestly thinking about like killing them in the jungle. Nobody would know. <laughs> Our outreach was so awful. <laughs> That's my least favorite outreach. Who's of screaming in the background? It's Renee. Renee. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. You know, in the mood, use your mic. If there's noise going on in your background, sorry, Sue. I'm just going to take this moment to say, Renee, this has been an amazing <laughs> interview. So I know, one, I know. Except for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> you call my child a thing? Your inability to hit the mute button I think well that's a cultural difference there my friend (laughs) here in the Netherlands it's perfectly normal (laughs) for your podcast to have screaming kids in the background yeah yeah (laughs) means you're a good Uh. dad (laughs) I think I can go in here and mute his mic for him scream children scream Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Is there a lot for that? Uh. Sue, thank you very much once again for coming and giving us your time today on Sunday and sharing your stories. I mean, I know that like I learned a lot today. Um, and it was it's been great to reconnect with you and everything you're doing. I, I wish you the best. Uh, blessings, good vibes, prayers, all that good stuff your way. Um Stay safe, um, stay smart, and I just hope that like, um, whether it be like our small podcast or anything, that we just help get that awareness out for you because what you're doing is amazing. And thank you for for putting your life out there. And so, uh, thank and, you. Well, thank you guys, and good luck to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Sue. Assalamu alaikum. Ah, walaikum assalam. <laughs> Oh, and we always have uh, our guests. Always, we we um, allow our guests to pray us out if they want to. So, in any way, shape, or form that they choose to do so. So. Oh man. <laughs> Which way is east? <laughs> uh, wow, it's I'm a little rusty. I'm praying in public. Uh, 
Jesus, I just thank you for this group of people, and I pray blessing on them as they head out into the world. I pray that you would continue to grow and mold them and shake the foundations of institutions that need to crash. Mm. Um, Thank you for their boldness and willing to put themselves out there. May we all be bold and honest in your image. Amen. 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 Wow. The Netherlands was shaking. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that was that was powerful. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank so you much. very much. Anything else? Yeah, tikalafi, which means God bless the work of your hands. <laughs> just, my, just my hands. I'll say here. All right. Bye, you guys. Bye. 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 I'm going to bring a kid to bed who's been very annoying during this podcast. Yes. My goodness. Let's, let's let him take a long, long nap. I you know, have never really thought that much about Palestine or Palestinians, for that matter. I did not know that there was that many displaced people who were stuck and unable to do anything about their situation. But you'd never heard about it? or I... I've I've heard about it. I've never really paid attention, and I know that's a terrible thing. Bit, but like the far from my bed uh, story, I guess. Yeah, like yeah. It. it's far enough away to where it doesn't really affect me, and so therefore no. I don't think about it. And shame on me for only you know having a view of the Palestines that the media wants me to have. Um, you who know, can blame you, man? Yeah, I mean if 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 that's the only input you have from a certain certain people i guess then that's the only output you're going to get sorry i didn't realize it had been going on almost 100 years i mean 1940s we're we're 20 years away from 100 years i'm like that's just crazy long to have that kind of thing unresolved and that there's there's legislation uh, Sorry, uh, Toby. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, <laughs> but then there's a uh, legislation too, like that's happening, like in our, like you know, we we're all voting people, you know, and you know, our president we have right now, whether we agree with his legislation or not. See, I didn't even really know. Not my about, president, man. <laughs> enough about about was it Anwar or whatever? I'm not even saying that right, you know, and cutting the funding to, to, to all that. Um, I think I'm, I think I butchered the name of that, but, uh, and like just learning about that, how, um, how did I miss that? How did I miss like, you know, the impact that that's making on like, like 5 million people, she said, like, like that's 5 million people that like I can go throughout my day every day and never have to think about, you know, but, but we're part of a nation that has legislation that's being passed that's going that could potentially like you know like will affect the lives one way or the other of of probably like even more than that because then like where do they go what you know what do we do like it's so it's good to be aware and to be able to like somehow like but then it's like what do you do with this information now you know i mean how do you it really shakes my political beliefs as you know a libertarian i think that the united states should be out of everyone's business um, yeah, but amen. No. <laughs> but now I'm I'm thinking like, okay, if the United States gets out of the business of the Palestinian refugees, does that mean that they all die? 
Yeah, you know, there needs, to, there needs to be some sort of a, like a backup plan or a safety net or something. If you before you just be like, okay, we're out. I mean, like so, maybe 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 being out is the ultimate goal. But like what I would say, the education and still being able to provide, like helping them provide for themselves and empowering like the Palestinian people. Um, there still has to be a way to do that, and they haven't been doing that for eighty years. They have not been doing that. So then, if you pull the rug out from underneath them. Like there is going to be like basically death right. happening. I mean, go ahead, Renee. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, from what I heard, it was it's all the f- the, the blame is all to uh, England. So uh, let them solve it instead of you guys. <laughs> no, but on a serious note, um, uh, it kind of shook shook me uh, that that the United States is suddenly stopping uh, this funding. And I mean, what 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 do those kids have as an alternative? Uh, I I think it's not a smart move. I mean, educated people. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if you got an educated kid, uh, the, what is the possibility that an educated kid will join some? terrorist organization for instance or something like that uh, against a kid who has been neglected and left behind by the western civilization um, yeah maybe yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, creating I, an enemy western and eastern so. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean uh, if you're if you're as a people are completely neglected uh, uh, by the world what 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 gives you I mean, man, uh, it gives only more troubles, I guess, more problems in the end. This is, it's going to be more expensive than it is now, I think. It, it's a short-term solution, and it may not even be a good short-term solution. It's a very, yeah, yeah, in, exactly. So, hey, guys, I got to go because my battery is at one. So uh, I probably, I'm forced to go in a minute. Well, thanks for you can go ahead and everything go. you can. You contributed though, Renee. For real. Yeah, good questions. Great perspective from I was, Netherlands. And I was Toby, really sur- I appreciate you, what you had to contribute to, Toby. Um, yeah. just, <laughs> next next, next time, singing. just, just <laughs> wait your turn, Toby. Is all. Uh, um, Andy or Seth, any final thoughts too? Well, for, for me, I'll just be honest, man. Uh, just being very, very transparent, and obviously, like I don't watch, I don't really watch a lot of news at all. I don't really have cable or anything. I didn't know that this was separate from a, the Syrian refugee crisis. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I honestly, mm-hmm. to me, my United States brain literally blends this all in hashtag like Middle East problems. Yeah, exactly. That's literally like. That's why I was so quiet, man. Because like I, I knew that my questions were were not going to be uh, anywhere near directed towards uh, what she is dealing with on a day to day basis and where she is dealing with it. I just completely was was uh, was dumbfounded to hear about this uh, whole different refugee crisis. So that was is it's really cool. And like you said, Chris, man, like this is it definitely shakes your political uh thoughts you know whether whether we should be there or not what we should do uh should we fund 
certain things and, and of course we should we somebody needs to help them if, if they're not getting help from even their neighbors in in you know uh, neighboring countries and things like that dude like some someone has to and yeah. and we sh- we should and you know people are going to use the well we have vets that are homeless and dying and, and you're right yeah that's true but holy crap uh, it's she said five million people five million mm-hmm. yeah yeah that is in saying like that it breaks my heart to even hear that and that it just seems like nobody again nobody wants to help them and it's it's wild to me so again it's almost like all new information (laughs) yeah exactly for me as well and it's almost like with and you know i hate to ever use uh someone's misfortune as an example but it's almost like you know when the Jews were being persecuted by Hitler's regime, you know, like who wanted to take them in uh, at that time. And it's like, at this point is Palestine kind of not in the same boat. And, you know, people look back and they say, Oh, well, you know, we were on the wrong side of history. We didn't help out the Jews. And are we going to look back, you know, 50 years from now, 40 years from now and say, man, we were completely blind to that. We, we, we didn't know we didn't care to look into that we didn't you know so I just I'm I'm nervous about that because and, and I know that I'm not responsible for five million people but having the knowledge that there are people in need like that is going to change who I am it's going to change you know the way I consume things or it's going to change my political ideology which I'm, you know, whenever you find an identity, it's because you like that identity. Right. And so this kind of makes me question that and I don't like it. Or even the stigma yeah, that we hinted to about the whole um, Christianity uh, and America siding with Israel and all things. Um, you know, that's something that I grew up in, especially like in the Pentecostal circles. That I was, you know, it's everything, all of America's fortune is tied to the fact that we have supported Israel, you know, you know, and it's be- becoming a state and all that different stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I bought into that, you know, and it was like, but then it's like, but what do you do with the 5 million people? Or the, at that point it was, I forget however many, 2 million or however the number was that got displaced, like in 1948, you know, like no, none of us were around or alive then. And so um, that's not necessarily our legacy, but like you said, like right now, uh, we can see that you know this wasn't right, and 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 even if I guess the stigma, the, that religious stigma that says that there, there's sides in this, that there's an us versus them, and it's not just a humanitarian problem or your or your problem for humanity. It's like we need to look at this as like those are our brothers and sisters out there, but no matter what their skin color, or no matter what their religious their ethnicity background is, it's like there's people that are, are, could potentially, you know, be or have been without a home, without a state, without an identity, you know, for generations, you know, people have like lived and died like in that, in that time frame for sure. You know, and now what, what is our legacy going to be, uh, like, you know, in 2018 as, as a people group, you know, as, you know, like, what can we do with our influence? And I feel like, wow, am, am I not just so glad that she 
decided to say yes and come on and talk about this because like I think all of us if nothing else could be forever changed you know and and then just the ripple effect like if it's, even if it's just throwing like a pebble into the ocean it feels like you know because such a big problem and we don't have like limited resources but it's it's still there's a ripple effect you know and it's like something's gonna happen something has to shake loose and I don't know but the stigma of us versus them black and white you know nope I'm gonna side with Israel but God said it I believe it you know um, it's hurting lots of people, you know? And so I think that's, that's something that, that has to shake loose before we can make any real change too. Would you be able to say, or would you feel comfortable saying that religion has caused you to be ignorant about this situation? Uh, just because we do get fed from the pulpit all the time, like side with Israel, no matter what, just believe what we say, don't go look into it. I mean, no one's telling us not to go look into it. Right. But religion has kept a lot of people ignorant about what's going on with the Palestinian refugees. I think we definitely have to be careful um, when we're starting to be told how to think. Yes. Like I think that for my experience, that was my experience for many years that like I was told, I was told how to think politically and how to think um, about lots of things in my life that had nothing to do with my uh, relationship with Jesus. So and maybe it, it be contrary. Go ahead, baby. I think it could be an, an American issue as well as a church issue. Uh, and I'm, I'm only saying that because, like, I've been in situations where I hear Americans, like she said, it's it's not just church Americans, but Americans saying America is wonderful, America is great. Uh, and then, like, there can be, I mean, news outlets, um that I've seen tend to lean more towards the Israeli side of things. And maybe I'm wrong, but um, I definitely think that the church is at fault um, for that. I totally agree with Omar, but I see it going that I, It could be our, our, our nationalism. Too. Is that the word you're looking for? Yeah. 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 That's what I'm looking for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nationalism can definitely be a problem, but I like living in my little bubble. It's comfortable. Chris, your little bubble is not all about this. Everything there is to know. <laughs> and I, I know all of us have our little bubbles, and we're very comfortable in them. But that's part of the problem: is that there's more than we realize, and that we want to form an opinion because of the bubble that we live in. But the bubble of the world is so much bigger. Yeah, and I'm guilty of it too. But just thoughts. Fuck, man. I feel like such a douchebag for even having those thoughts about that uh, Palestinian Uber driver. You know? But, but but at least you can be honest about yourself. Because, I mean, like, like I guess the thing is, is, like, you don't need to feel like a douchebag because you're not. You're, you're, you're like, okay, you've been fed a lie. You've been fed false information. And so how else can you have... Um, feel any other way until you're around uh, like this people group and can you know it's it's good on you to not react to those thoughts and recognize that that they're faulty um, but there's nothing wrong with having having there's nothing wrong with having thoughts go ahead Andy I think I'm still in your thunder because this is your you say it <laughs> no. better than I do no I just I, I don't I don't think it's anything to be you know a sh- you know overthinking about or whatever because I mean uh, obviously, she said she was received pretty well by most, but you know, over there, they're going to be wary of an American. Uh, there, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are wary of that. Sure. Or, you know, does she? 
is she uh, with us? Is she like some spy who's, I mean, that stuff happens over there. Oh, there sure. are people over there doing that. So <laughs> I know it might seem silly to compare people being a little suspicious of her over there to to you having those feelings in that in that uber but i i think there's there's some some comparison there and there's some i i just think it's cool that that you on the podcast were able to to be honest about that because it i don't know if i could be especially i did being that vulnerable to someone who's who's been with those people i mean it's cool that you went there i love that well, I have to be honest. I was thinking to myself, man, I should get a lift because they do background checks. Right, right, <laughs> right. It <laughs> was a bad joke. Was is Lyft even a company anymore? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I live in a small town. I don't think I've ever used Lyft or Uber. It may have been Lyft, actually. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I use them interchangeably. <laughs> but don't you think that, I mean... With anything, with anything, man. If if you're not used to someone, again, we, earlier we were talking about tribal kind of stuff, and uh, even relates to culture. Like maybe there's mannerisms you can't pick up on. Maybe there's uh, the 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 way a conversation goes, and you make a certain joke that doesn't land in a certain culture, and it's offensive or whatever. Just being with someone who is the complete opposite culture. You you are just kind of naturally like overthinking everything you say or do, and yeah. every action that you know everything they say or do. Yeah, you're on a heightened sense of 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 living in that Uber car. Like it just some it's you're not used to it. You're just not used to it. So something I, new. There's also something to say about the fact that he had control. You know, he was the one behind the wheel, and I was a passenger at his mercy. I suppose so. Both of those situations together made me feel a little nervous at first, but like I said, the dude ended up being a sweetheart. And um, you know, I mean, on in different circumstances, had we met somewhere else, we may have ended up, you know, exchanging social media or something, you know, because we had a great conversation. So, I mean, he knows my address. We'll see how it goes. Hey, you know, you know what? It would be man if you ever run into that guy again just to just to drop it in his ear hey man would you like to be on a, a podcast and just maybe tell your story of oh, yeah, that'd be of, weird. of, yeah. of how you you know the conflict there and and why you came to texas with all the stigma related to texas you know what i mean yeah that's brave that's brave of i, I think that's badass that he would he would feel so comfortable uh in in dallas texas or a suburb of dallas texas and 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 say something first to you. Obviously, he's he's a well mannered dude. Obvious, and and he started the conversation with you. He he is wanting to, you know, much like uh, Sue is, destigmatize his uh, his culture and mm -hmm. all of that to you. She's doing that over there and saying, "Hey, we're not all, you know, this and that over over here in America, over there in America, you know." Yeah. So it. Yeah, I would love to get that guy on if, if if you ever get a ride from him again. If your wife ever uses the car again and you, and you <laughs> find yourself in that situation, I would love that. I'll uh, get on my history and see if I can find his name and see if I can't track him down. Probably could. I thought it was interesting, though, how what Sue's response to that was when she was just saying how, like, it's just 
it is just our American culture to want to throw the earbuds in and leave me alone. And I don't really like, you know, can't you see that I'm busy, like, you know, on my phone or busy doing something like, why are you talking to me to where like another culture, especially in the, like, obviously within the, in, in Palestine, like it's natural to like, you know, you're in my space. So I'm going to talk to you, you know, what I mean? like right. she's saying, like she's saying she can't get away with it either. Like over there, you know? And so it's just like, it, I want, I wonder if it wasn't really him trying to like, make good it is just like him like like being authentic i mean i wonder how much yeah yeah i don't i don't we'll get him on i think yeah i think Um, the whole thing about her like valuing education over there and you know putting in that library and everything it speaks so much to even what happens in our country with like the inner city stuff like if you don't have education or at least an opportunity for that dude like you yeah, like you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're like, well, I, I mean, I can make money doing this then, you know, it's like right. whether like if you're in the Middle East, okay, you might be like doing whatever, I don't know, growing poppy or something. I don't know what they do in there <laughs> to make money. But if you don't have education, like, damn it, man, like, I, I mean, I'm not college educated or anything, but I just happen to to get lucky and find this job that I have now. But it's it's just it's. But so you received important. a free education. You received a free education that was that was quality, you know, for your whole life, right? Public and, school, yes, yeah. correct. Yeah, and these guys, I, I don't know that they're getting that. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. I, I I don't even know if they even in in that area, you know, the the area of Palestine, or even in you know aleppo or towns like that if they even have education systems in place right now with all the chaos going on how do you attend school when there's bombs dropping even 100 miles away think about 100 miles away from you if if you if you saw people fleeing to your area because of bombs dropping how do you even send your kid to school i don't yeah. I can't even think about that. I go back and watch those 9-11 videos of the planes crashing into the towers, and I think, holy shit. Like, that would that would make me not be able to do anything for a whole week, you know, let alone it being right next to where I go to school every day, and I just hear the sound of bombs constantly. Yeah, I mean, Sue was involved in that, or she was, you know, in that war, which she said, 2004, 2006. And she had to go through trauma counseling because she was evacuated. But all those other people that weren't able to be evacuated because that's where they're from. That's where they live. They've, they've got to be going through major PTSD and or not even maybe not even dealing with it because it just keeps happening. So shoving it down as best they can just to survive or try to come up with some sort of life. Yeah. Heavy. You know, we're talking about the thing that happened in 1948 when they were displaced, but this goes back to biblical times. I mean, this whole thing. And so it's like, this is not um, this whole thing between Palestine and Israel has been a whole thing since essentially the beginning of time. <laughs> uh, Abraham. So. Yeah. And that's and that's why I asked that question, I guess, because I, I just... I, I felt like I was coming into to something, and I, I didn't know why it was technically happen, happening. Yeah, like of course we should help these people who need help, but why are they in this position? And like, what was the original thing that happened? That I just I had no clue, man. So I, like you said, Seth, you you dropped that book in the uh, in the Facebook Messenger, and I'm I'm gonna take a reading on that. I I think that's awesome because I 
again, had no no clue at all what this was all I, about. I really read this book in high school. I wrote a paper on it. So, hi, Omar. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but it's good. I think oh. Did I distract you? I'm good. <laughs> okay. Well, Elizabeth, I hope you'll join us for a lot more episodes. Yeah, yeah, you guys. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Pretty good. So if we're looking for a female that fits with us, I think she does pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Fade to Gray. If you'd like to know more about Sue and her work, you can find her on Facebook. Just look up Beirut and Beyond. You can also find her on her website, beirutandbeyond.org If you like this podcast and if you want to follow Fade to Gray, subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also on Marco Polo and if you're interested in joining the conversation there, we would love to have you. So download the Marco Polo app and find our link on our Facebook page. Join us next week as we talk with Josh Wing, one of our friends of the podcast. So until next time, have a great day.